Welcome to the Freedom from Empty podcast, building strong, effective, resilient leaders and humans. My name is Booth Andrews, and I am your host. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. So today I want to talk about our brains a little bit, and not because I'm a brain expert. So issuing a disclaimer in advance, neurologists, neuropsychologists, psychiatrists, neurosurgeons, please forgive me. Um, I don't claim to have your knowledge and understanding of the brain. But what I do understand and what I've observed in my own life and in the lives of others is that sometimes our brain isn't helpful, even when it wants to be. And so I'm going to dive into that concept a little bit more deeply and at the end talk a little bit about what I've learned in how we can start to maybe modify or reframe what's happening in our own mind in a way that that serves us more fully and in a much more healthy way. As early as 16 years old, I was aware that I used my brain as a tool, as both a weapon and a fortress. I developed a dry, sometimes caustic wit, dripping with sarcasm, daring anyone to challenge me. It wasn't until I was much older that it became clear to me how much I really relied on my brain to make sense of the world, to protect me from pain, to outmaneuver any potential threat. I was able to channel my intelligence to build a professional and personal reputation, one of which I was frankly very proud. And then when I thought I was losing my mind, quite literally, I wondered what good I was to anyone especially my children, if I lost my mind. For me, losing my mind was the greatest betrayal because it turns out that my mind was the only thing I trusted. If I could think my way through a problem, if I could understand what had happened or what was happening, if I could intellectualize it, if I could rationalize it, I didn't have to feel it. And I could solve even some of the most challenging puzzles. And I trusted myself implicitly to solve things with my brain. In hindsight, I believe there was a time when I trusted nothing and no one except my own brain. My father was very smart, a wonderful physician, and he used his brain as an instrument of healing and also to generate income and support a family. I remember remarking on the sad irony as he succumbed to vascular dementia at an early age. His brain was failing him, and he was lost. Now I understand that our brains, my brain, can cause us pain. If we allow them to run amok and to play too prominent a role in our lives, it may be more accurate to say that our thoughts can both help and harm us, even as the circumstances around us haven't changed. Clear as mud, right? (laughs) Let me share some examples. When I took a job as a CEO of an entity being formed through merger, I found myself with staff in three different cities. I did not have direct access to that staff 
for the first three months of my tenure because my predecessors were all still in their roles. So I started a blog. My thought was that I could share the same message at exactly the same time through the same medium with every member of my staff, as opposed to sharing the message with one group or another and waiting for the telephone game to butcher the message and the intent. So imagine my surprise when I think I'm communicating exactly the same message to every single person on my staff. When many months later, I learned that staff members would sometimes gather in an office, pull up my blog on their computers, and debate what I said and what I meant. I was stunned to find out that the message wasn't clear. But I learned a very important lesson through that experience. I learned that we each fill in the unknowns, the gaps in information. Our brain fills in that unknown information with our own fears, our own experience, and our own bias. Our brain hears a word and thinks, oh, I know what that means, as it sifts through the files of our memory banks and connects our past experiences to the present moment, defining the word or the phrase or the scenario based as much upon old data as new. Frankly, probably relying more on the old data. Because it also seems that once we have made the connection in our brain, that something seems familiar, we stop being curious. It's like, oh, okay, I get that. This, this looks like this other situation. And then we move on. And it seems logical, right? Perhaps that's a very helpful process. And of course, it serves us in so many ways. And yet at the same time, our brain all by itself can send us into a tailspin. Time and time again, I've observed myself and others who take a gap in information and fill it with fear or bias. One of my daughters has been struggling with this for several months, actually probably closer to a year. Last year, her father was very, very ill for several months and we were not sure if he was going to recover. Ever since that time, whenever anyone she cares about gets a sniffle or a cough or has a stomach ache or a fever, she goes into full panic mode. We spent last flu season with my then 15-year-old daughter citing the daily flu stats to me until I finally told her to stop looking them up because they were terrifying her. Her brain tells her that one time her dad got a, quote, stomach bug and almost died. In truth, it wasn't a stomach bug at all. It was a random and very serious health issue. But now, with every illness, no matter how minor, it carries for her a flood of fear, anxiety, and catastrophic thinking. Our brain can justify all sorts of behavior and responses based on our past experiences, very real and very powerful experiences. So what are the stories we tell ourselves and what impact do those stories have in our lives? The truth is that often the stories we tell ourselves actually perpetuate things in our lives that we want to be different. They perpetuate things in our lives that aren't working for us. 
Here's another example. At some point in my marriage, and as a relatively new parent, I don't remember exactly when, I became convinced that I was all alone, no one was going to help me, and if I wanted it done, I was going to have to do it myself. Now, this, there was a time in my life where that really was true. I really was on my own, and I didn't have any help or support or a safety net available to me. But in this moment, in my marriage, and in my relationship as a co-parent, I remember thinking to myself, well, if I'm just going to be a single mom, then fine. I will just do it myself. Insert expletive here. But what did I actually want in that moment more than anything else? I didn't want to be all alone. I was probably frustrated and exhausted and overwhelmed, and I wanted help more than anything in the world. But because I listened to the story in my head that told me I was all alone and I was going to have to do it all myself, I did the exact opposite of what I could have done, what I really needed to do in that moment. Not only did I not ask for help, but I essentially, personally, built another layer in the barrier in the middle of my relationship, a layer that would make me less likely to ask for help the next time, a layer that would help perpetuate the myth that I couldn't rely on or trust anyone but myself. And what was I conditioning my husband to do? I'll leave that one as an open-ended question. Do we believe everyone is going to let us down? If we believe everyone is going to let us down, then there's a good chance they will. But it will be likely as much because of our own unwillingness to be vulnerable and to share the load as it is that people are inherently unreliable and don't want to be helpful. Do we believe that we are the only ones who can do a certain thing or that we are the only ones who could do it right? Well, guess what? If we believe that, we probably aren't going to go to the trouble to ask someone else to do it and risk that they might mess it up or not do it the way we would do it. If we are in the habit of acting like a superhero, then other people become accustomed to sitting back and letting us save the day. Do we believe that the only way to prove our value is to always be available to our work to the detriment of our family and our well-being? Then changing workplaces isn't going to fix that for us. Do we believe we are unworthy of love? Then we will likely attract people who treat us as if we are unworthy. If we do not challenge the stories we tell ourselves, if we do not make adjustments to how we respond to certain stimuli, we will struggle to live our lives in a way that fully supports our well-being. Brene Brown calls it rumbling with our stories in her book, Rising Strong. We can change friends, partners, houses, jobs. But guess what? We take ourselves with us. Einstein is credited with saying that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. If we want to generate different results in our lives, then we have to rewire our own habits, patterns, beliefs, and stories. The good news is we actually can do that. We start by noticing, by becoming aware of the story as it plays out in our head. And by becoming aware of the story, I mean kind observation. 
not an internal browbeating. When we notice that we are replaying old highlight reels, we can ask ourselves whether the story we are telling ourselves still applies to our current circumstances and to the people involved. We can ask whether choosing to act based on these old storylines will actually serve us. And if it doesn't, we can make a choice to respond differently. We choose a different response, even to what our brain has determined is a very familiar and predictable stimulus. Imagine that each time a certain pattern plays out in our mind, a piece of thread is woven into a rope that connects the synapses of our brain. Every time we participate and replay that pattern based on old stimulus, we weave another thread into that connection. And here's the good news. We can also change those connections over time. Every time we choose to challenge our stories, to evaluate whether the stimulus really demands the same response, whether what is happening now in this present moment really is the same thing as whatever has happened in the past. Every time we develop that awareness, notice the story, and choose a different response, we start laying down new connections in our brain. And over time, the strength of those new connections can be stronger than the old. This is really hard work, and it takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of practice. It is very, very helpful to have someone in our lives who can help challenge the stories we tell ourselves, be that a friend, partner, or a professional. One of the ways that I help clients is by helping them evaluate their stories and beliefs. I help them challenge whether these stories and beliefs are still beneficial to them or whether they are reproducing the same results from the same behaviors in a way that is truly producing a lack of well-being or insanity in their own lives. And I help them begin to learn how to lay down new patterns. So the next time your brain runs away with you, you might pause and say, hmm, is this story helpful? Is it productive? Is it true? Am I filling in gaps of information with fear as opposed to actually pushing forward, considering that there might be another option, another choice that gets me closer to the person that I want to be and the life that I want to live and the relationships that I want to have in my life. For more information about the work that I do with individuals, groups, and organizations, go to boothandrews.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Booth Andrews. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please hit subscribe and remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I look forward to being back with you next time.
This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.